0: You are listening to the One Body Show. One body. Today's special guest is Donetta Robin. One body, God's creation. Today's topic: abortion One body. healing. One body, One body God's creation. And here's Donetta.
1: Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to today's One Body Show, Stewarding God's Creation. Please note, um, once again, this broadcast is not for young listeners. So if you have children ages 12 or under, you might want to turn your radio off or switch to another station. If you're interested in the subject matter, which will be abortion healing, please know that this show will be rebroadcast at night. So, for the past three weeks, we've been talking about abortion because abortion is very much a current event in the news these days. There is so much writing on this presidential election, as the candidates are either very much for abortion or very much against abortion. Depending on who is elected, President Trump or Joe Biden could affect the Supreme Court with a future judge nomination. It could also affect our health care, our freedom of religion, and much more. There is no doubt about it. The 2020 presidential election can affect the future of this country in more profound ways than ever before. So in the past weeks, we've explored how abortion causes physical damage to the body, how abortion is psychologically damaging to the body as it causes post-traumatic stress, suicide rates increase, death for post-abortive women is higher as the stress causes the immune system to break down, and the trauma causes women to put themselves in situations that make them at higher risk for death. Last week, we talked about how abortion impacts men. Men do not get a choice in the matter if their child lives or dies or more commonly, men have participated or even forced the abortion on their girlfriend or wife. A third way abortion affects men is that they married someone who had an abortion prior to their relationship, and their wife experiences depression, anger outbursts, and many other post-abortion symptoms, and the husband doesn't know how to help her. Abortion can also cause dysfunction in parenting skills, as many women are unable to bond with their children, or they may be afraid to discipline, or they're overprotective. Now, I don't know about you, but if some medical procedure causes physical, psychological, emotional problems, in addition to a breakdown in relationships and family, it could hardly be called health care. Yet, right now, a portion of our premium is going toward abortions. Abortions that are hurting women and men and families and not to mention even killing the babies. And many people will say that the Pope doesn't like women? Now, come on. It appears as if our president doesn't like women. He wants to hurt them, and keep them in a place of pain and grief, or so it appears. One aspect of abortion that was not addressed in the three previous shows is the abortion procedure itself. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to get into any gory details, but I am going to tell you how the abortion pill is causing even more trauma in women. A woman is given a pill and told to go home and wait. She will abort her unborn child within a couple of days, she is told. Well now, who is the woman going to call? Her mother? What is she going to say? Hey, Mom, can you come over here while I abort my baby? No. The woman isn't going to call anyone. She is by herself. She is all alone. So, at home and all alone, the cramping begins. Some women tell us that it is excruciatingly painful cramping. After a day or two, the woman expels her child. The child has been lost in bed, on the bathroom floor, or even in the toilet. Okay now what is she going to do she cleans up by throwing her child in the trash can or flushing her child down the toilet do you see what our culture has done they have now taken the abortionist out of the picture they give the pill to a woman she's alone and she's responsible for the cleanup So what do you think this is going to do to a woman psychologically, emotionally, not to mention spiritually? Her trauma is much, much greater. Now, she is solely responsible. And when these women come to a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, they have a very difficult time. They can't get over the self-blame and condemnation. They discarded, in a horrid fashion, their own baby. It is nearly unbearable for them. But praise God for Dr. Teresa Burke, the founder of Rachel's Vineyard Ministries. Through the grace of God, Dr. Burke has designed a weekend retreat to lift these women up, restore them, give them new life in Jesus Christ. And what she has done is profound. But before I tell you about Rachel Spinyard, I'd like to tell you about Teresa. And I'm going to call her Teresa instead of Dr. Burke because that is how she would want it. One time she told us that she is not the great Dr. Burke, but simply Teresa. Teresa. And I truly believe that the Holy Spirit had His hand upon her from birth and that she was specifically chosen for this time and age in which we live. Praise Him because Teresa answered God's call. And now women and men all over the world are being healed because of her fiat. So let me tell you, how Teresa got her calling. Sometimes when we are at these Rachel's Vineyard Leadership training conferences, Teresa or her sister Katie will sit around with a group of us and just tell stories, and they're both just really great storytellers. While in college, Teresa who I'd say is definitely more the right brain, <laughs> kind of like me, I think, got this wild idea to take a semester off college and hitchhike through Europe. So she talked her sister Katie into going with her. Now these two young women went off to Europe and wow, do they ever have an adventure story to tell. I've near a several times and they'd get a- their banjos out and begin singing and get out of it. It was just, it's kind of hilarious, but one of them could actually write a book on their adventures in Europe, I believe. At any rate, before they left, their father told them that he and their mother would meet the two of them in Rome on a specific date. Now, folks, this is a time before internet or cell phones. So, Barely making it, Teresa and Katie were in Rome on the date their father specified, and they were all geared up to tour Rome with their parents. But their father had other plans. Emerging from his pocket were tickets for all of them to go to (laughs) Medregori. Medjugorje! The girls were so disappointed. But their father insisted that something is happening there, and they were all going to go. So, being the obedient and dutiful daughters, the next day they were on a flight with their parents to Medjugorje, where supposedly our Blessed Mother was appearing to some young people. Well, I don't know exactly what happened to Teresa and Katie in Medjugorje, but Teresa did say that it was a life-changing experience for her. And incidentally, Teresa's father, Stanley Karminsky, was instrumental in getting the Medjugorje messages proclamated in the United States. So now, back in college, Teresa, a theater major, changed her degree to psychology. While working on her master's degree in counseling, Teresa was in charge of an eating disorder group. One person popped up one night at this eating disorder group and talked about her abortion. Then another one popped up and did the same thing. And a third person became very angry and said abortion was her right to choose and they didn't have a right to discuss it. And, and the group session just pretty much ended in chaotic circumstances that night. But Teresa was sure she was on to something. Eating disorders can be a traumatic reenactment Of an abortion experience. Women were once again purging themselves of what is inside their belly. But Teresa's teaching supervisor would not hear of it. He told her to never bring up the issue of abortion again in that group. While Teresa tried to reason with him and said that she had not brought it up, but the members of the group had brought it up. But still, he would not allow her to talk about abortion again with this therapy group. Teresa once told us that when someone tells her she can't do something, she usually does. So she was so certain she was onto something, so she spent much of her doctorate degree studying abortion and the trauma associated with it. Teresa developed one of the first therapeutic recovery programs for the healing of abortion. And a Rachel's Vineyard retreat was born. Now, personally, <laughs> I see the Blessed Mother as having a mighty hand in this. Mother Teresa once wrote to Teresa Burke and said, I work in the slums of Calcutta. You work in the slums of souls. But Jesus doesn't want souls to stay in the slums. He has a plan, and his plan is far greater than any of us could ever, ever imagine. He wants to resurrect us. Yes, of course, on the last day, but also now. He wants souls to know the infinite grace of his divine mercy. And so Jesus is very present on a Rachel's Vineyard retreat. Rachel's Vineyard got its name from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 15 through 17. A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord. Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, says the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future. So let's just take this scripture apart a little bit. A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. The post-abortive woman and man mourn the loss of their child. Be comforted because God sees your broken heart. I truly believe that our Blessed Mother gathers the tears and presents them before the throne of God. Both our Blessed Mother and her son Jesus grieve with you. A Rachel's Vineyard retreat allows participants to know the presence of Jesus as He walks on this journey with them. The next part of the scripture, Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted because her children are no more. Post-abortive women and men grieve inwardly. They don't share their grief. Yet the culture says there shouldn't be any grief. That a mother's interests in her child's are not the same. But we know From the earlier shows aired here on KVDM about abortion on this one-body show, that a mother cannot be separated from her child without profound grief. The two are connected so intimately. There are only two cells between an unborn child and his or her mother. A Rachel's Vineyard retreat allows a mother to be reunited with the child she lost, due to her abortion, in a very, very powerful and spiritual way. The next part of the scripture says, Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, says the Lord. Oh, it takes work, lots of work, to dive into the pain of abortion but diving into it on a Rachel's Vineyard retreat enables participants to gain power over that area of their life. And then that loses the foothold on their lives, so to speak. And the last part of the scripture, they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future. It is Satan that has its hold on their lives. No doubt Satan is powerful, but Jesus's power is so much greater. Thus, Satan loses his power over participants in a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, as Jesus Christ allows a mini-resurrection, so to speak. There is literally a physical transformation as a retreat participant usually comes into the retreat with eyes downcast and filled with shame, guilt, and grief. But when Jesus takes hold of their lives, they leave happy, smiling, standing straight. It is such a joy watching this transformation take place, all by giving 48 hours of your life to some deep and hard work. We, as a society, do not know the full damage of abortion, but we all have the power of the Holy Spirit— The apostles weren't afraid of their mission. They ran toward their life's mission, and they weren't afraid to say, Be healed in the name of Jesus. Rachel's Vineyard is a retreat of hope. It's healing. It's the path to discovering what God has designed for each one of the participants' lives. Yes, we all make crazy, bad, and even stupid decisions. But when we turn it over to Jesus Christ, He uses our muck, and through this muck He restores our lives, our minds, our hearts, our souls to a level so much greater than we could ever hope for. When Dr. Teresa Burke began post-abortion therapy, she learned that clients came into her office week after week and talked over and over again about their abortion. And she soon learned that talking about it didn't really work. It kind of kept people stuck in the trauma of the experience. That could be why many Catholic women will go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, confess their abortion, only to return to the sacrament again and again and again, confessing the same sin. They have been forgiven, but something within their psychic won't allow that reconciliation to take root. Teresa has studied the brain extensively and notes that when a person goes through a trauma, it truly affects the brain, almost like there's a little bit of damage But that can be erased almost if you get the right kind of healing. For example, many with post-traumatic stress disorder are unable to tell their story in a sequence or they can't communicate what's really going on or they can't remember major events of the past. It's like the brain holds these little snapshots of the traumatic event and another part of the brain is holding all the emotions and the two are not connecting there are often three responses when the trauma arise. The person will want to flee or fight or freeze, flee from the event or anything that might trigger the memory or might want to stay and fight like it was the best decision or that's just what had to be done. And, or they might freeze, almost paralyzed, unable to move, unable to flee the room, just stay there almost numb, without any emotion. So when Teresa designed Rachel's Vineyard, she took all the talents God gave her, her acting and music abilities, coupled with her knowledge of psychiatry and how the brain functions, her her love of Jesus and his gospel messages, and she put them all together. It's like they all poured into this retreat that makes this a very safe, secure and nurturing place to be. For example, the lighting and setting have to be just right. The stage, so to speak, has to be set. There must be visuals around. The soft music, the touching of objects, all stimulate the senses and makes what's going on in the brain, the place that the trauma is taking place, it makes it safe. The weekend is truly transforming as the retreat participant comes to know peace and their own inner strength. Like this is the one thing they thought might kill them, but they endured it. They are strong. Teresa says, we in the vineyard have witnessed that once a person faces their trauma, they can now control the trauma and therefore the trauma loses power over them. The reenactment behaviors that they found themselves getting into are lost. And all this is done through the safety of a non judgmental team trained to work in the vineyard. The Rachel's Vineyard team usually consists of six to eight individuals, depending upon the number of retreat participants we have. There is a priest, a mental health professional, two to three members of the team that are post-abortive and have gone through the retreat's healing process themselves, and others who simply care and love those who are attending. A Rachel's Vineyard retreat is therapy for the soul. So what happens on a retreat? Well, first, we place our hope in Christ. We confront the past, but it does not stain the present nor dictate the future. We have a personal encounter with Christ which leads to repentance. Repentance stirs away contempt and hatred towards self and others, and it replaces it with humility, grief, and tenderness. Repentance is an about-face from living in denial and rebellion to truth, and it surrenders us from death to life. This leads to freedom and healing. I've had people tell me that they would never attend a Rachel's Vineyard because those Catholics will make them feel guilty. But it's quite the opposite. First of all, the retreat is designed to open the wounds, unite those wounds to Christ's wounds, and experience the power of His resurrection. Secondly, there are catholic and non-catholic retreats but they are literally the same. The only difference is that the sacrament of reconciliation will be offered for those who are catholics and those who are not catholics we give them the opportunity to go one-on-one with the priest for spiritual direction. And usually on our retreats we have half and half, half Half the people are Catholic and half are not Catholic. It's never been a problem. Also, our retreat will end with a Mass. But other than that, it is not like really Catholic. It's just all about Jesus and His healing power. We're not there on a Rachel's Vineyard retreat to convert people to the Catholic faith or any faith. We're there gratefully and humbly as servants of God to serve the people the Holy Spirit sends to us. We often tell our non-Catholic brothers and sisters that if they feel comfortable to go home and talk to their pastors, tell them what a Rachel's Vineyard offers so that their pastor will not be afraid to send others for this needed healing. Many people experience tremendous symptoms as a result of their abortion, but they do not see the need to repent from it. Many people are in the process of defending what they did. So how do we get people to the retreat? Well, we put the word out in bulletins, posters, brochures, and a few ads here and there as we can afford to do. And I have to admit, in the beginning, I was a little overzealous to have people come to the retreat because I I so knew the power of it. But I've learned it works much better to let the Holy Spirit choose who should attend. So we put the word out, and then we pray. Many people will have anxiety about attending. We let them know this is normal. We simply encourage them along their journey. Once on a retreat, we encounter Christ through scripture, meditations, and rituals that will help bring it all to life. For example, On Friday night, we talk about the woman caught in adultery. We read the scripture, and then we invite people to sit back and enter into the meditation. Soft music is playing in the background, and we always begin with some deep breathing exercises to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and for all the anxiety and negativity that we feel inside of ourselves to go out. Now we know from the scripture of the woman caught in adultery that the crowd was ready to stone her, and so they drug her through the streets to see what Jesus would do. So often the people involved in an abortion condemn themselves or feel that if others knew, they would truly be condemned. Perhaps they were pressured into an abortion decision and they felt like they were being drugged to the clinic, kind of like the woman was being drugged through the streets. And then what did Jesus do? This is so cool. (laughs) I just love you, Jesus. He bent down and scribbled in the dirt. Now, some people will say that he was bent down, writing the sins of those condemning the woman. But Dr. Teresa Burke has another perspective. Perhaps, she said, Jesus was bent down, So he could relate to the woman. Like I said previously, when the retreat participants come in Friday night, it is not unusual for their eyes to be downcast, their heads held low as if in shame. If Jesus is looking down, perhaps that is his way of relating to the condemned woman. He understands her feelings of shame and grief, and he wants to encounter her exactly where she is at. Then after the meditation, we'll have some discussion and then a ritual of some sort. In this particular scripture, a team member will begin by picking up a rock and bending down just like Jesus did, and they will hand the rock to a retreat participant and say, Is there anyone here to condemn you? The person receiving the rock is invited to say, No one, sir. And the response is, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And it will go like this around the room. This sets the stage, so to speak, that everyone there, retreat participants and team members, that we're all on the same footing. There is no one there that is without sin. We are all here not to condemn nor to judge, but to allow Jesus to heal the wounds of the soul. Rachel Vineyard will teach participants healthy ways to grieve their loss without beating themselves up. We truly travel through the paschal mystery of Christ as we offer our suffering to His and speak to Him about our pain. And He invites us to see His compassion Afterwards, there's this song of meditation and a beautiful closing prayer in which the priest will invite Jesus to come into the depths of our souls and allow his healing touch upon our lives. Let's take a break right now, and when we come back, we'll visit with someone who has gone through a Rachel's Vineyard retreat. So So stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more about abortion healing. To One Body, Stewarding God's Creation, where we are talking about the healing graces of a Rachel's Vineyard Retreat. In the studio with us now is Joy. Now, Joy is not her real name, so if any of you know a Joy, please know this is not her. So, Joy, will you tell us that when you found out you were pregnant, what was who was the first person you told and what was their reaction?
2: The very first person that I told that I was pregnant was my best friend at the time, Her reaction, she was very calm about it. She was very supportive of me and was willing to be there for me for anything. And she was actually very excited about it also, to be an aunt, in her words. The next person that I did tell was the father of the baby, and his reaction was quite the opposite of hers. He was very down on the thought of having another child. He already had two children. He didn't see that that we could raise another child and financially support it. He gave me the impression that by having the child that it would destroy his kids' lives, his life, and mine, and then that we would just literally lose everything by having another child. So how did you arrive at the decision to abort? It actually took a while when he first, the first time that I told him he had suggested it and I told him no. And about a month later, we spent some time apart to think about things. And when we regrouped a month later, he had, the first thing that he had said was how he didn't want to have another baby. And he pretty much reiterated everything he had said before and at that time, I was in a much more emotional state, and I just couldn't handle his feelings, his emotions, the, his attitude towards everything. And so after that, I told him that I would have an abortion because I didn't want to have to deal with him for 18-plus for years. And so I told him that I would have an abortion if he promised to leave me alone after that.
1: So, can you tell us about the day of the abortion? What was that day like for you?
2: Well, um, surprisingly, when I first got up that day, I wasn't extremely nervous. And going to the clinic, I wasn't even nervous. When I got there, it was very tightly secured. They they waved a wand over everyone to make sure they didn't have anything like wires or anything on them is what I was assuming. They checked your bags, see if you had anything, and they also didn't want you to have cell phones there either, even though I still had mine, but I just made sure nobody saw it. And after that, you would check in, and it was very full of it was full of women everywhere, and then there was also a few children in the clinic. And I remember the staff, they were just very very cold, very nonchalant about things like this was regular business. This was routine for them. And I just found it surprising that this could be, you know, seen as normal. And a lot of the time in the clinic was spent waiting, waiting for the next person to take you back and do their thing. The very first person that would take, took me back into a room was the counselor. And she was basically there to ask me, And make sure that I wasn't being forced into having the abortion. And it was just a few questions that she asked. And I don't even remember her looking up at my face the entire time. And then after all the questions, they have you sign a piece of paper. And then they send you off. And then you wait for a couple more hours and just sit. And then they take you back to do the sonogram. And when I went back to my sonogram, that was when... The sonogramist had said that there was multiple gestations. I had asked her what she meant by that, even though deep down I knew what she had meant. I just needed to hear it in plain terms. And she said that there was two babies. And so it was at that time that I had decided not to go through with it. I I thought that having an abortion with one child was bad enough, let alone with two. So she stood over me and she's like, well, she's like, we need to know, you know, what do you want to do? And so literally, like, everything went through my head in a matter of seconds. I was like, well, I cannot go back to the hotel and and tell him that there's two and see the reaction on his face now that there's more responsibility here. A lot of things went through my mind. I wanted to go back and lie to him and tell him I had had it. And then later on, tell him I didn't. But I was like, no, I can't go back and lie to him. And so I decided to go ahead and go on with it. After that, you waited for a few more hours in the waiting room, which was very torturous because the entire time you think about it, it totally changed everything, knowing that there was more than one and it just made me think about things a lot more. I had a lot of mental pictures of, like, my children and, and what they looked like or what they would look like. And, but I just had to push those out of my mind. Finally, they called us all back. And there was about a group of five women. It was almost like they were, to me, I remember it was like herding cattle. And they just take you back and have you change into just a white gown. And they set you all in this uh, room and wait. And it was very uncomfortable being in a room with women that you didn't know. You're sitting there in white gowns. It was very uncomfortable. I still remember all of their faces, surprisingly. And and I even remember some of the women were trying to, to joke around and make light of this situation to make themselves, I think, feel more comfortable about it. And then the next thing they did was um, you could choose between two, pres- two types of anesthesia. You could either just have a pill taken or they could um, drug you and put you almost under. That way you wouldn't like remember everything. I decided to go with just taking the pill because I was trying to think of the cheaper option. And one of the girls chose to be put under. They gave us the pill right before they took us back to the room. So it really didn't even have time to take any effect. So when you got back to the procedure room, it was pretty much like there was no buffer to the pain or anything. As soon as it was over with, they just pulled you up, and they tossed you right out the room and laid you down on a gurney. I remember that the lady that people had gone before me, None of them were really crying, but they all were just, like, looking down in shame. And they just had, like, just the look of death and sadness in their eyes. And there was total silence among all the women. But I remember that the nurses that were in the room with us were just casually talking about things. And they were actually laughing and joking about things. That just blew my mind that they could be doing that after what had just happened to these women. And I remember that the woman that came after me, she was actually the one that had been put under. And so I found it surprising when she was the one that seemed to show the most emotion because she could barely walk out of the room and she was just sobbing uncontrollably. She had to have two nurses practically carry her out because she was so emotionally distraught that she couldn't walk out herself. All of the women were pretty eager to get out of there. Nobody stuck around too long.
1: And thank you, Joy. I know it's difficult to recall the memories, but they also had your money from the very beginning. Is that correct? So when they are asking you if you want to go forward with this, that would have been difficult to get your money back at that point, too. Is,
2: am I correct on that? Yes they, they asked for your money at the very beginning from the start so that kind of makes it a little bit harder to go back and say, well can I have my money back so
1: so that weighed in on your decision to go forward too is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you tell us
2: a little bit what your life was like after the abortion? After the abortion, my life had to did a complete 180. I was fine when I was with the father. But as soon as we had split ways and I was all alone, that was when everything really hit me. I couldn't stand to be around anybody. My best friend and I had totally parted ways. I couldn't look at her because I knew that she knew what I had done. And I didn't want to see the way she would look at me. And I just couldn't stand to have anybody close to me. My relationships with any of my friends were gone. And with my family, was it had also changed my relationship with my nephews and nieces and, and any like babies. I didn't, I had issues with babies and pregnant women. I didn't like any of them or to be around any of them. I was jealous of them. I had got to the point where the only peace that I had was when I was sleeping. All I wanted to do was sleep. So as soon as I would get off of work... I would take sleeping pills so I could sleep, and I would sleep literally until I had to go to work the next day. My life revolved around me. I would get excited about going to sleep because that's the only time where I wasn't feeling any pain or when I wasn't thinking about what had happened. And a lot of it, I would take sleeping massive amounts of them because I wanted something to happen, but I didn't want to die I wanted something to happen so that somebody would find me and get me the help that I needed. Because part of me did want to die so that I could take care of my children in heaven, but part of me was was scared that if I did die, that's not where I would be going.
1: Joy, how did you come to know about Rachel's Vineyard?
2: Um, I had come to know about it through, first of all, my mother had seen it on the TV, and then I had also seen an ad in the newspaper on Mother's Day. What did attending a Rachel's Vineyard retreat do for you? Attending a Rachel's Vineyard retreat brought me to the healing power and love of Jesus Christ, it just brought me so much closer to Him, and it, so much peace and release, and the burden was just lifted off of me.
1: Can you tell us where on the retreat did you feel like you received the most healing, or that you felt you like in, really
2: encountered Jesus? Some of the things that I really enjoyed about the retreat was the group discussions and it was really healing to hear other people's stories and what they had been through and to know that I wasn't alone and the only person that had gone through this or done this. And also to see that the people that I was surrounded with that were telling these stories, they were such wonderful people. And they're some of the you know greatest people I've ever met. It's just healing to see that... These people are still wonderful people, even though they did this horrible thing. So I could still be a good person, even though I had done this horrible thing. I kind of
1: <laughs> like that because Mother Angelica always says every saint has a past and every sinner has a future.
2: Joy, what did you find most healing on this retreat had played the role of the father in my situation, and he portrayed a very different perspective. He showed me love and compassion. He validated my feelings, and he listened to me and took responsibility for his actions, and that was something that I hadn't really ever completely got from at that time, from the father of the of my babies. So that was very healing to see a different perspective of that from a man. And I also really enjoyed the—we had a prayer hour adoration every night, and it was just alone time with Christ, and it was very healing, and it just calmed and soothed me very much. And a lot of the time, he— you know, there was one time he would—he showed me I, I saw my my twins and what they looked like, and and it was very healing. And so, the the adoration hour was just very very um, productive for me. I I really felt just the healing in the power of of Christ at the retreat, the entire time, as soon as you walked in, you just, there was just a different atmosphere and it was an atmosphere of love and caring. And it just was very calming.
1: Okay. Thank you, Joy, for sharing. If there's someone out there that's listening to us that might be hurting from their abortion decision or has been involved in some way in an abortion, what might you say to them to help them determine if Rachel's Vineyard Retreat is for them?
2: I would tell them that the only place to go is up. You, you really can't stay where you are or go backwards. I would tell somebody who is thinking about attending a retreat that there's no one that isn't worthy of Christ's love and that this is the healing that will change your life. You, you don't want to live the rest of your life paying for the decision that you made one day and you don't want to take down the people that are around you with the decision that you made because whether or not somebody knows about what you did that will. This will affect your rela- future relationships, your family, your friends. This will affect every aspect of your life. So if you don't want to hurt yourself anymore or hurt anyone around you anymore or cause any more damage, that really this is the best option.
1: Did you know that 45% of people have an abortion by the age of 45? of people will hide this fact from those around them. Society says that abortion is legal, safe, and even part of health care. But abortion never, never happens without some harm to the mother. Maybe this harm is manifested differently, but the woman is always harmed in some way. And when the woman realizes she has been lied to, Anger usually follows. Thus, on a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, we learn the process of beginning to forgive, and it's something that we definitely work on. One last thing. Our society today always wants a quick fix to problems. Our culture views the failure to get over a traumatic event as a symptom of a weak person, but... A person who confronts their pain, dives into it, and does not allow it to have power over them is not a weak person. It's a strong person. It's a spiritual person. It's a person we'd want as leaders of our churches and our communities. Rachel's Vineyard is for anyone affected by an abortion. We've had grandparents on the retreat Some participated in the decision. Others did not know about it until afterwards. We've had siblings on our retreat. Why did mom let me live while my brother or sister died? We've had former abortion workers on the retreat. We've had mothers, fathers, friends who participated in the abortion decision or drove another to the clinic. They have all suffered guilt and grief. So, if the Holy Spirit is calling you or someone you know to the healing waters of Rachel's Vineyard Retreat, please call today. 1-877-I-GRIEVE That's 1-877-I-GRIEVE Or 1-877-447-4383 1-877-447-4383. You'll be the stronger person for it. Well, folks, that's all on this week's One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. And as always, your financial support to keep this station running would be very much appreciated. Thank you. And may each of you see the face of Jesus and someone you meet today.